Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk again about the Kingdom of God. And we're going to continue the topic that we had on this morning's broadcast and podcast that was, well, we touched a little bit on fluoride and fluoride in the water and should it be added and what good it does and what are the studies that are actually out there and what are the disclaimers that are actually out there, what's false information, what's true information. And we're not going to go over all that again. And uh, and it's an endless debate. Uh, but we were actually talking about remedies, solutions, and we're also talking about the spiritual aspect of society that moves people in a particular direction or governments in a particular direction or communities in a particular direction. And uh, it's quite different than what most people think is moving society and and. Uh, different than the way most society is actually functioning and operating. I mean, like people talk about global warming. Is global warming real? Well, yeah, there's global warming and there's global cooling. Every morning the sun comes up and things get warmer. And every evening the sun goes down and things get cooler. And winter comes and summer comes. And But there are variations at times, and some of these variations can cause the deaths of tens of thousands, maybe even millions of people, and have over the last two millennium. Uh, there was a global cooling that took place in, in five, uh, around 540 AD, uh, that caused the death of millions of people from China to Europe to Central America to South America to, to North America. And people suffered and died. Tremendously because of this global cooling. Populations began to go up again uh, because as the weather warmed and then there was another cooling, the Mulder minimum that took place and there was another cooling and it wasn't quite as bad, but uh, there was a lot of people who went hungry and uh, then weather warmed up. Uh, but they also had other disasters that took place during some of these periods, such as uh, bubonic plague, uh, the Black Death. And uh, labor sources got so shortage, and we talked about this a couple programs back, that uh, people were in such demand to work the fields, to grow the crops, to build the roads, to build anything, that uh, laborers were actually in England. It was illegal to move around because uh, they were afraid that so many people who were indentured servants or uh, people who were on the, the, the fees, uh, you know, in some big estate would simply go somewhere else because there were so many jobs and labor was in such a demand that, uh, wages were so high that people took their chance of, well, I'm, I have it secure here working for the master on this, you know, estate and I have a home and I have friends and I have all these things, but there's a problem. And uh, that is the fact that if I go somewhere else and get a job, they're paying so much that uh, I can't hardly turn that down. And so they made it against the law to move around. And then we talked about other things that were happening in society at the time. And so you would you would find out 
that things were shifting in societies and in nations, and there were lots of different factors. But today, you know, like I said this morning, you know, you go back to the 20s and 30s, and they were telling us that within a few years that the uh, poles would melt and the cities would all be flooded, and, and everybody was in a panic about it then. Not quite as much as it is today, because there isn't the mass media. They learned how to manipulate the mass media more. But you know, if you go back to the 70s, everybody's worried about an ice age. And actually, many scientists today are more concerned about another mini ice age than they are about global warming. But they're not going to say anything because of this tremendous power in the press. That if you say anything against global warming, you're a nut. You're a climate denier, whatever that is. And uh, so uh, they have tremendous power in the media. And I, I've done a study of the different media outlets and how they uh, act and react in with different news stories and how they cover them. And they are moving a section of society's mind simply by the way in which they present stories and uh, and uh, news items and stuff like that so that they are orchestrating a large section of the population. I really think, and I was just talking to people that... Uh, who have talked to people that are, you know, people in government and people who have talked to people high up in government. And uh, the numbers that the media is telling you that are thinking a certain way are really not as great as you think. But like lemmings, it only takes a, f- a few lemmings dashing for the precipice in order to, for, to get all the other lemmings to dash the same way. And one of the ways to do that is fear. Fear is a great motivator of society. So fear of global warming, you know, the end of the world in 12 years uh, has got people all worked up. Uh, they're afraid of Trump. He's supposedly a racist. I, you know, I've, I've watched his career for 50 years. And uh, he really has been kind of the opposite of racist most of the time. I mean, I hate to find myself defending Trump. Uh, but we're, we're, we're a crazy society now. And people are being swung both ways. And there's a huge lack of reason flowing through the mental processes of America. And so anyway, that's one of the reasons we talked about fluoride. It it is clear that increased fluoride in the diet of people, especially the younger the people are, the lower the IQ is. There's been numerous, numerous tests in China and Harvard and everywhere else in Mexico that say this is the case. Now, if you're 40 years old and you're drinking lots of fluoride, chances are that's not going to lower your IQ. It's going to be pretty steady. But we don't actually know if anything over 0.2 is lowering your IQ because nobody's done that test. They've measured 0.8 and you add another 0.5 onto that and the IQ drops. And so they're actually talking about nationwide lowering the amount of fluoride that they can put in your drinking water. But the reality is that these tests, most of these tests were based on natural occurring fluoride, not fluoride that is produced as industrial waste. And that's usually what they're putting into your water. So there are other things. And then there's so many other factors that can take place. What else is in the water? In China, they had a problem of both iodine and fluoride in the water. In the long run, that iodine may serve beneficial. If there was a nuclear holocaust, that would probably help them out because the iodine would protect them from absorbing too much radiation. But there's another thing. Everybody thinks, you know, oh, radiation, Chernobyl's. If you go and do the studies in Chernobyl's, uh, 
they're actually finding that animals have developed natural immunities to the radiation. To radiation. That's not a virus. That's an actual element in in the air that you breathe in. And there are actually uh, bacterias and fungi that are actually breaking down the isotopes. So these, you know, 50,000 year, 50 million year half-lives aren't actually true. Just the same as we talked about this morning, the giant oil spill that was the end life as we know it on the earth down in in, uh, the Gulf of Mexico. It disappeared. What happened? Nature produced a bacteria that's been around all the time and just ate it up. It did cause toxicity. It did cause damage. It did kill lots of fish. It did uh, toxify a lot of fish. And if people go out and eat some of these uh, toxified fish, they'll probably get the toxins in them. But the reality is, is that nature is a very complex, uh, creature. You could almost call nature a creature because it's interactive. And we talked about how life, you find life everywhere on this planet, down at volcanic vents in the, in the solid ice of the Arctic. There's, there's bacteria growing in there, living in there, surviving in there. How is this all happening? What is going on? And the reality is, is that there are energies in creation, call it virtue of life in creation, that is giving life and bringing about life and designing life and redesigning life so that you may live a life more abundant. And so I I said this morning that I was going to talk about some of the ways that you could increase that life more abundant, where you could tap in to those spiritual powers that can awaken the mind and awaken the body and actually awaken what we call epigenetics in the cell itself, where Jesus actually just touched a person. He didn't go out there and yell and scream and and get the crowd all worked up and then supposedly produce a healing. He just touched somebody or somebody touched him and they were healed how could that be what what actually is the process that's going on i can explain it to you i've seen it in operation i know it's real but it actually takes two to tango always has and so it's not only that you know christ could heal somebody that somebody was ready to be healed so a question that might occur to you is are you ready to be healed do you have what did christ say when he healed somebody your faith has saved you he didn't say i saved you he said your faith has saved you what's what's this faith i mean in several of the cases where somebody just saw him and came up and said i know you can heal me i know you can heal my servant the lady who went and touched his garment she didn't even say anything she snuck up behind him and touched his garment what is the process actually going on? This is not a mental process. This is a spiritual process. It may manifest itself in mental ideas and concepts. But eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is a mental process. Eating of the tree of life is a spiritual process. And so, receiving the Holy Spirit is a spiritual process. And it's, it will change you physically. It will change you mentally. It will give you new ideas in your mind that I, I can't give you. I could talk about, but I can't give them to you. So how do you awaken 
those uh, spiritual processes that are in in your heart and in your mind. How, how is that possible to do that? Uh, well, that we'll, we'll probably talk about that. I've scheduled 90 minutes for the show today. I guess I've been able to do that all along, but I didn't know it. So normally I only am able to take a hour, but I went out and did a lot of extra work this morning so that I would have 90 minutes to give you in this process. So hopefully we will get to some of these processes and see if we can't awaken something in us, which you can do not during the show. You can do it after the show. You can do it in the early hours of the morning. You can do it. Uh, I wasn't going to get into all this, but I think I will. And it's ancient secrets. You can find it in ancient writings that go way back. You can find it secret away in metaphors in the Bible. And uh, those who have eyes see, but we'll, we'll touch on it, give you some little hints. It's not going to make any difference, the knowledge I give you. It will only make a difference if you're willing to make the spiritual journey. And to give you a little heads up, when you try to make that spiritual journey, when you uh, go to do that, you're going to come face to face with things in your own heart, in your own mind, that are a little scary. You know, it's kind of like Yoda talking to Luke and Luke says he's not afraid to go into this little area because you don't bring anything into that that little area but what you take with you. That's what's in there, what you take with you. And he says, I'm not afraid. And Yoda says, you will be. Because the idea is that by going into this place, physical place, going down this path, going into this hidden domain, you're actually going to be journeying into your own heart and mind and see the very fears and angers and anxieties. Because those are what, those fears, angers, and anxiety are what keeping you from the kingdom, keeping you from the healing of Christ. It's what you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Okay, so what you physically bind on earth with physical trauma, emotional trauma, hate, etc., is poisoning the character of God in you. It's keeping you from what God really wants and has in store for you. Because you won't let go of the trauma. You won't forgive. Forgiving is a key element. And you won't give because you hoard what you have. Maybe you're even coveting other people's stuff. You want what other people have. You want other people to carry your burden. Now, God has a burden for us all to carry. We would become weak and lethargic if we didn't have a burden. But Jesus says, my burden is light. And it's light if you're willing to pick it up with love and patience in your heart. So that's what you have to do. So, one of my favorite quotes is Polybius. The masses continue with an appetite for benefits and the habit of receiving them by way of the rule of force and violence. What did he just say? The people, the masses, have an appetite for benefits, rewards, gifts, gratuities, and benefits, however you want to put it. But they also have a habit of receiving them by the way of rule of force and violence. In other words, it's one thing if I choose to give you something. It's another thing if you choose to take something away from me. 
If you choose to take something away from me, it may not be counted as stealing because of the manner in which you are able to take something away from me. Maybe I've made some deal that it gives you or somebody else the power to take from me. How would I do that? Well, it's very easy. I give somebody the power to take from you. And they also, by joining a group that believes in one purse, you know, socialism. If you join a socialist state, See, I thought it was very interesting. I heard just yesterday. I guess I heard it before, but it's, you know, I have to learn everything at least two or three times. But in Australia, it's against the law not to vote. You, by law, you have to vote. At least that's what, it, that's the, I haven't verified this, but that was the information came to me by way of an Australian. So if you have, I don't know how strictly they, they enforce it, but if you have to vote, then that makes you a member of that society. And it's saying that you're giving power to somebody to take away from your neighbor to provide you with benefits. And, of course, we've seen in Australia that you get more benefits if you're in the country illegally than you do if you worked all your life and you're now on their equivalent to Social Security. You can actually get more benefits if you have illegally entered the country than if you would worked all your life under the authority of the Australian government, tithing to the Australian government or paying the tax, tithing, same thing. You know, that's your sacrifice to the gods of the Australian government. And they get to decide how to rightly divide it amongst who they want. And right now, they're giving more to illegal immigrants and certainly more to immigrants than they are giving sometimes to their own citizenry. And we see the same thing going on in California. You have all kinds of homeless that are actually the citizens of the country. They've had jobs. They fell on hard times. There's lots of different reasons. When you say homeless, that's certainly not a homogeneous group. You know, there's there's people who become homeless because, you know, they have a traumatic event. Their wife dies. Uh, they lose their job. They end up on the street. They start drinking. They get involved in drugs. They get involved in violence and they have no place, you know, they're just living on the street and it, it goes from bad to worse. They start trying to turn their life around, but it is not always easy to turn their life around once you hit that rock bottom. And there is a place to go out and help such people. But there are also people who choose that lifestyle. I've talked about that. with. I've gone out, met the homeless, talked with the homeless, helped the homeless. And uh, some of them just flat out choose that lifestyle because they don't want to work. And they they can get away with it because they work the system. You know, they know where to get a free food, a free bed. They know where to, and, you know, occasionally they steal. Occasionally they deal in drugs. If they go to jail, they, they've been to jail before, no big deal. And, uh, you know, three squares in a cot. And actually today, three squares in a cot also can include TV <laughs> and all kinds of other things. So... It's it's a strange world out there, but what happens is that if your society chooses to have an appetite for benefits and the habit of receiving them by the way of rule or force and violence, your society will degenerate. The people will degenerate. And and I talked about that this morning with, uh, you know, uh, Proverbs. If you sit and eat with a ruler, that's that. Rule of force and violence. The guy who can exercise authority one over the other. That guy who calls himself a benefactor. If you sit and eat with him, eat at his table, 
Proverbs says, put a knife to your throat because he serves deceitful meats. So this this has been the theme in the Bible from beginning to end. Uh, David, what should have been for your welfare has become a snare. And that's what they're telling you in Proverbs. Over in Proverbs 10, you know, uh, the one purse. To, to gain at the expense of others, the innocent, to, to obtain a gain because you all have one purse, you're told to consent not, to get, not get involved with that kind of stuff, which is a social estate. Because it, you will be caught in the very trap that you're setting for others. Your blood will be called for. They're telling you that right in the Bible over and over again, quote after quote after quote. But your preachers aren't telling you that. As a matter of fact, the preachers, instead of rightly dividing the bread from house to house like the early church, they're sending you to those men who call themselves benefactors, those rulers who will snare you, who will make merchandise of you, who will curse your children. Those of you who listen regularly, you know what I'm I'm talking. I'm quoting the New Testament. I'm quoting the Old Testament. Quoting Peter, I'm quoting Jesus Christ, I'm quoting Paul. They're all warning you of this being lovers of the reward of unrighteousness. But Jesus points out that if you're trapped, you've made been made, been made merchandise in the unrighteous mammon, you have to pay your tax. But if you repent, start thinking differently, start sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, start gathering together in faith, hope, and charity, start taking care of one another. Instead of always going to the men who exercise authority, you have a chance to get back to freedom. But you won't be able to do that unless you continue the process of waking up. Okay, you woke up because the pain got so great, you realized I'm in bondage, I'm I'm in trouble. Some people think, well, I'm in bondage. I just throw it off and disregard. I won't be faithful to the unrighteous famine. I just won't pay taxes. Won't take care of my family. Won't, uh, you know, I'll become a deadbeat dad. And I will justify myself because I read some quote in the Bible that says repent. And I think repent is, is to start to be, you know, not honor the unrighteous mammon. But then what happens is that not only do I get in all kinds of trouble with the unrighteous mammon and government and all that kind of stuff, I lose my land, I lose my my family, I lose all these things that I could have had because I was angry and stubborn. Then what do I do? How do I get back? How do I return? Well, it, it can become very hard because now you have to admit I was wrong all those times I was angry. I was squandering my life. You know, and now I'm, I have nobody to take care of me. I'm ended up, I'm dependent upon people who eat at the table of the unrighteous mammon. So I haven't escaped anything because I never set the table of the Lord. I never did what Christ actually said. If you owe the tax, pay the tax. You, you can't just, you cannot just free yourself. You have to think differently. So anyway, Polybius this is 150 years before John the Baptist is saying that the people having grown accustomed to the feeding at the expense of others and to depend for their livelihood on the property of others institute the rule of violence. And that's what we have today. I have somebody very close to me who's meeting with a uh, somebody high up in government today. And uh, the guy high up in government is a socialist. 
He thinks we should, you know, he talks about the rights of the working man and help the working man, but he actually wants to tax the working man. Because you can't tax the rich enough to pay for everything that they want. There isn't that many rich and they don't have that much money. People, people don't do the math. And maybe again, fluoride works. I don't know. Maybe they've been dumbed down. But what really keeps them dumb is they want to be angry, angry at the rich, angry at the powerful, angry at the government. They don't want to take responsibility. Maybe there's something you could have done. But they, the, many of these socialist-minded people, the liberal leftist people, are more than willing to live at the expense of others. They justify it by saying, well, the others are rich. You know, they can afford it. or they're, And then they want to demonize the rich. Like everybody who's made a lot of money has obviously exploited somebody. Not necessarily so. He probably gave jobs to hundreds of people. He's, uh, you know, I've known employers who are really concerned about their employees. They they work ridiculous hours, 15, 20 hours sometimes a day. And, you know, 60-hour work weeks, nothing to them. And they get a business going and they maybe have 50, maybe they have 100 employees and they're making lots of money. But the employees couldn't run that business on their own. Maybe they could have if they got together. And this this is, you know, one of the things that somebody was saying, uh, uh, the, the particular, you know, I, I was looking at some of the quotes of the particular government official, uh, high up elected official, uh, who was saying things like they need affordable health care. For small businesses, we need to help out the small businesses by making sure that they can have the access to affordable health care just like the big businesses do. Uh, but the small business, he he doesn't have the negotiating power because he's just a small business, so he can't get the same good deal. Well, yeah, he can. All he has to do is come together with other small businesses. And they they create a health care association. And that health care association goes out and negotiates the good health care deal, the same as the big, because, you know, 20 small businesses is the big business. You know, and they do it only in the healthcare area. This is what made America great, is that people work together. You've, you've lost that skill. Individuals can do this. You could, you can self-insure yourself with, uh, in every, every congregation. If you were doing what Christ said, sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, every congregation, could become self-insured. People say, oh no, one catastrophic illness and and the whole congregation is wiped out. Well, is that what happens to insurance companies? No, that isn't what happens to insurance companies. (laughs) You know, uh, if you got, okay, you got 10 families in a congregation and those those 10 families gather together with 10 other groups of 10 families, that's 100 families. If they do it with another 50 other groups, you have 5,000. Now, they form an association, just a separate entity, not them. They're not all, you know, you can't sue them because they're not all members of the association, but they create an association that operates like an insurance company. And the people pay in. And and, and they do this with like Good Samaritan. People who get Good Samaritan, but Good Samaritan is not completely designed the way Christ was saying. It is people helping people. But it's a big organization and there is no interaction between groups of 10 and groups of 100. It's just a big central organization. And they do a pretty good job. But that actually handicaps them because they can't 
you know, they do do some work with preventativeness and, and medication and stuff like that. But reality, they're not kicking in that healing power of the Holy Spirit because they're not doing things exactly the way Christ said to do them. Christ didn't say this just, you know, he's he's a brilliant strategist. If you connect in those tens, hundreds, and thousands, then the secret of the mem takes place. Those who listen regularly may know what I just said. The mem, what is the mem? The flow. And of course, that's what flowed from Jesus to the woman. Flowed from Jesus to the leper that healed them. It's the flow. And if you want to put that into your health uh, share program, you will have miraculous results without a lot of dancing and jumping around. And I've seen this on a small scale. You could see it on a very large scale if you would actually do what Christ said and gather together in those tens, hundreds, and thousands. That's why we've set up a network at preparingyou.com uh, to prepare you. And you go there and you sign up for your local area and you get to know ministers and then you start forming those congregations. And how much is it going to cost you? Whatever you want to give. There's no dollar and cents amount. Uh, you don't have to make pledges. Because uh, what we want, what we know is absolutely essential, is that you begin to operate according to the Holy Spirit. That's what you have to do, is operate according to the Holy Spirit. And when you start operating according to the Holy Spirit, then the flow can start to take place. So anyway, uh, he goes on to talk about that it will degenerate the population if you get into this one purse, this uh, operation of force that eventually massacres and banishes and plunders and degenerates uh, the people into perfect savages, fit once more for a master and a monarch. John the Baptist was preaching the same thing. You had to do it by charity. Christ was doing the same thing. So once you get to that point, I mean, and we talked this morning about not only do they just put things in your water, whether you like it or not, uh, they are forcing vaccinations. And for those who haven't listened, uh, we were quoting some of the uh, statutes that are now being passed in Iowa, Michigan, Oklahoma, Virginia, or at least being presented now. And Minnesota has presented one that would force vaccinations for everybody. Even, you know, right now in California, you have forced vaccinations. We named all the bills this morning. But homes, people are going to homeschool to get away from that. But the, this new bill being introduced in Minnesota doesn't matter if you're homeschool. They want to go into your homes. They want to go in some of the bills, like in Oregon, they, they want to go into your home four times a year and examine it, whether or not you're fit to homeschool your children, supposedly to keep them safe. The reality in, in, in the state of Oregon, or actually in even in the United States, you're more likely to be abused in foster care than you are in a private home. I mean, that's just, that's their statistic. The reality is, is that, and this, this is to be expected. This is what is to be going on. So we talked about homeschooling and we went through a lot of the test scores and everything. And it says, so the, the conclusion was that, uh, so government run schools are academically inferior to homeschooling, riddled with crime and abuse, producing graduates less tolerant, politically less tolerant, emotionally less to- tolerant, religiously less toler- tolerant, 
than their counterparts who are uh, coming from an education at home. Because home-educated kids across the board are found to be more tolerant, uh, uh, more open. Uh, and, and when they followed them now for 10, 20 years after being homeschooled, they're more active in the community. They're more charitable. They stayed married more with a higher rate of uh, remaining married. They raise families. The families are remain together. And this is what's coming out of the homeschool era. And what I tell you, the ingredient that makes that true, it's not everywhere, but the, why the statistic is favoring the homeschool uh, for outcome, scholastically, emotionally, politically, everything, uh, community-wise, it's love. Because it takes a lot of love to homeschool your children. It's a challenge. It tests the metal that you're made out of. So, anyway, the the bill in Minnesota is SF-1520, and it does away with any options. You can't get out of it for religious options. You can't get out of it for just one thing after another. It's it's fully uh, pervasive into what used to be considered family. We're going to take a little commercial break, and then we'll be right back to Keys of the Kingdom. Okay, well, welcome back. So we, we talked about these things in the uh, proposed bill, homeschool, some categories uh, where they actually consider homeschooling. If you homeschool your kids, if you decide not to have vaccinations for them, if you want to turn down like chemotherapy or anything like that, that's considered child abuse. And what it is, is there's a spirit of control that has grown up in people because they, they're literally savage about it. They want, they will take Rip your, you know, the same people are worried about supposedly the uh, ICE people ripping children from the hands of their parents, which is not actually what takes place at all. You know, I mean, I'm sure there's some abuse that goes on there on the border, but I can guarantee you that uh, the uh, the American uh, accommodations down there are probably better than anything you'll find in Mexico or most of the other countries throughout the, uh, South America and certainly uh, in uh, compared to Africa, India, any of these others, you would much rather be staying down there than anywhere else. And the reality is, is that you have uh, thousands of people a day trying to come across the border, some of them for a very legitimate reason. You know, I have two uh, immigrant uh, uh, son-in-law and a daughter-in-law and they came across the border, but they did it legally. And if all these people who are really concerned about these people, they would just sponsor the ones they want to come across. And I can guarantee you that pretty quick they will be more selective about who they sponsor. Because if you're a sponsor, if these people are coming across and they need a sponsor, which is everybody who doesn't have sufficient funds should have a sponsor, the sponsor becomes liable if those people go on welfare. There is an actual design in the process now to bankrupt America. It's built in, and it was built in, whether you want to call it conspiracy theory or not, it's built in by a spirit that justifies living at the expense of others and taking from others uh, for their own benefit. And they they are perfectly okay with that. And they cannot see that it's wrong. And if you even suggest that it's wrong to covet your neighbor's goods, they would want to crucify you. In the media, they would want to crucify, they would want to, you know, punch you out, whatever. They would call you a Nazi because you did not want 
to covet your neighbor's goods. So what's happened is they're being given over to a spirit, a certain kind of way of thinking, a pattern of thinking is infesting them. And they cannot change. They they are not making up their own minds. Their mind is made up for them. Somebody else is rewriting the way they think. And you can go and try to reason with them. You can try to bring facts and logic. But they say, oh, well, their facts don't matter to them. It's all about feelings. And those feelings are being orchestrated. They are puppets in the hands of a spiritual identity. You know, you can say possessed. You, you, know, you can put you know, demons in the picture or whatever. But the reality is, is that a certain pattern of thought has become pervasive in their minds and they are obsessed with that pattern of thought or that pattern of thought as possessed them. And they cannot change. Now they could, and, that, and that's what we're going to talk about. How do you How do you change the way you think? Well, you have to see what you're thinking. You have to be still and know. And so that's what we're going to talk about a little bit here is how to be still and know. How to awaken yourself to the path that giveth life. Because right now you're trapped in a path that does not give life. That actually takes life away. That drains life away. Because if you're, if you're okay with uh, taking life away from others, then it's okay that others take life away from you. You will have no no dynamic or dialectic protection against people taking life away from you because you're absolutely willing to take life away from others. You can make all the excuses you want, but the reality is that if you're going to live by covetousness, you're going to eat at the table of rulers who exercise authority, who force the contributions of the people and make the word of God to none effect. You're going to be cut off from the word of God. You're going to be cut off from the pattern that makes life grow everywhere on this planet. So that you you know, you find plants living under the desert sands, you know, the Sahara Desert. You know, where you you go out and you just see the sand for miles and miles and you say, there's nothing here, everything's dead. There's actually plants living under the dunes. And when they're covered up, they're still living there. And then the dune moves and then they're uncovered and they live again. And they can go dormant for long periods of time. I mean, there are creatures that have all the uh, female species disappear the male will become a female or the female will become a male and so that they can breed again. Nature finds a way because there is this life force that is trying to manifest itself everywhere. And it's amazing how far reaching this goes, how it will heal the planet. It will heal. And if you become the disease, it will remove you. Of course, we've had movies, you know, The Happening, which I didn't really think was that good. But the idea was that nature was going to rebel and remove those things that are causing damage to nature, which was supposedly man. So they the created a disease that wipes out man. Well, the movie wasn't that great, but the idea is not too far from the way things work. That life has a cycle. If something becomes, you know, damaging to this life process, the life process will take it out. 
in the Old Testament, it's called the wrath of God. But it's it's not God getting mad and well, I just finally blew my top with the people and sent a flood. The fact is, the people brought the flood. Spiritually, they brought the flood upon themselves. They all could have survived had they been listening to that which gives life. But they can't hear that which gives life if they're busy taking a bite out of one another. If they're busy judging one another, they themselves will not be able to see the truth. If they're uh, just stuck, you know, putting down one another, then they will not, not, not be able to lift themselves up. So, yeah, I, I put together huge amounts of notes going through and reading these reports, reading these news stories so that I could prepare for the program. And then it becomes a volume of information itself. And even though I can remember, you know, like uh, House Bill 3560 or, you know, the different uh, articles that are written about these uh, different uh, things that are going on and child protective services, etc. And I have a lot of experience with these things way in the past. What I'm interested in is the spiritual forces that are actually moving members of society and those people who have sought power. See, when you create offices of power, if, you, if you're going to establish a government, there's warnings in the Bible about five restrictions you have to put on any government that is going to have an exercising authority. For 400 years, Israel survived and thrived in some of the harshest environments and eventually in the promised land although you have a very distorted view of how they entered the promised land. They didn't come in conquering people. They were invited in. They were begged to come in. They were desired by most of the people. But the power structure that was dominating the people, they did not like the Israelites because the Israelites, by the nature of their institutions, was setting people free. They were not oppressing the stranger in their midst. That was forbidden. So how were they operating? They're coming in and they're standing tall. There are people in there uh, that are actually still working and functioning at 60 and 70 and 80 years old. While the oldest person living in uh, Canaan was like 45. And they were often crippled and stooped by the time the Israelites came around. And they thought, well, why is that? How How could this be? How are they so healthy and we're so bad? And there were other people around and we won't. We won't go into those other people that they defeated that were dominating the society and controlling the society because they were immune to the plagues that was killing the people. Why were they immune to the plagues? What was going on? What was different in their genetics that was not in the Canaanite genetics that made the Canaanites vulnerable? And then what were the Israelites doing that they were not vulnerable to the debilitating diseases that was destroying the Canaanites. So what was going on? Well, I could go into all that, but the show would have to be more than, you know, I could go into that for hours and hours, but actually we will address those things, but that will be farther down when there's less time. Right now, what I'm saying is that you have to wake up something in yourself. I've talked about epigenetics. We mentioned it earlier. Epigenetics is the genetics that is in your cell that is not a part of the double helix, but it actually turns on sections of the double helix 
under certain conditions. It will bring epigenetics. If you turn on the epigenetics, it can turn on things in the double helix that heals your body, rejuvenates your cells, uh, restores your your health. It can do it rapidly or it can do it very slowly, but it won't do it unless you're receptive to the spiritual epigenetics. Because everything, everything is spiritually driven. Just as these people who have accepted the idea of coveting their neighbor's goods, who have elected men who can exercise authority, who have coveted offices of power and authority over their neighbor, who have uh, lurked privately for the blood of the innocent, that's, that's one spiritual dynamic, and that's pulling those people of that society in a particular direction. Some will become dominant, some will become recessive and be destroyed and overcome. The ones that go the other way, that are immersing themselves in forgiveness, walking in the ways of Christ, which is the way of sacrifice and care and love and forgiveness, all these other things, the people walking in that way, a different energy will flow to them. A more complete energy will flow to them. And it will automatically turn on their epigenetics. It will bring about health where there was no health. It will tear down barriers in their thinking and in their body that were there before. And it will awaken them to a different source of life. The life won't be from anger and resentment. A lot of people, they can't get anything done unless they get angry. They, they get themselves in a position where they, they're under pressure. Then they can operate and work under pressure. Uh, that you want life to flow through you. At the same time, you want to tap into an inexhaustible source of life. Just like those plants that live down there at those volcanic vents that we talked about this morning. No sunlight, but they thrive down there by the volcanic vents. It's freezing cold water down there, but they survive down there under those great pressures because they're taking energy from these volcanic vents. Well, you want to plug into the source of life, the tree of life. So how do you do that? And again, Christ is telling you, you have to forgive. And you can't hoard your life. You have to lay down your life for others in a righteous way. Because righteousness is a key element of this. You can't just jump on the first grenade that somebody throws at you. You have to give your life in a way that strengthens other people. So, is it strengthening other people to tell them all kinds of information and all kinds of, give them all kinds of knowledge they don't have? No, what strengthens them if they begin to wake up to the spiritual dynamic that allows them to see that knowledge and put it together in a rightful way. Because people can take knowledge and connect the dots all kinds of different ways. And they will, you know, you'll have, you have people go to the same school, get the same degree, and they, one comes out a Republican, the other one comes out a liberal, and the other one become, comes out a libertarian or a constitutionalist. And they all went to the same school and got the same degree. What happened? 
Why do they have such divergent opinions politically? And what about other opinions about diet and about marriage and about honor? Where where do they get those opinions? So it isn't knowledge that will save you. It isn't your ability to get all the information. It's it's this spiritual universe that you want to tap into. And you're either tapping into the one that is envious, is lustful, that is uh, selfish, that is um, unforgiving, or you're tapping into the other universe that is full of forgiveness, giver of life, um, you know, uh, care for the people and wants to strengthen. I mean, you want to care for your children, but you want them to learn to walk. You want them to learn to stand. You want them to learn to make choices, right choices for themselves. You want them to grow up to be good women or good men. Only way they do that is to sometimes carry burdens, to struggle. They don't get strong, no pain, no gain. So you don't want to keep all pain from them. You don't want to keep all burdens from them. You want to give them burdens they can handle and strengthen them in a way that they can become an asset to whoever touches their lives and whoever's life they touch. So how do you awaken that spiritual genetics that is the spiritual genetics of Christ? How do you awaken that in yourself? Well, first you have to take, be willing to take a look at yourself. You need to be willing to see yourself as you really are and not as you might imagine yourself to be. So how do you, how do you see yourself as you really are? Well, right now, as you live your life, I don't know, there's all kinds of people that might listen to this. Maybe you're, you have a full-time job. Uh, maybe it takes 40, 50, 60 hours a week. Uh, maybe you're a housewife. Uh, maybe you're a young teenager going to school. Uh, whatever it is, you have lots of distractions around you. You have music. You have your iPhone or your, you know, your smartphone or TV or maybe, maybe you have other addictions like drugs. Uh, maybe pharmaceutical drugs, you know, legal pharmaceutical drugs. You're dependent upon them. You're dependent. Maybe your problem is food. Maybe you overeat. Uh, maybe you eat the wrong kinds of food. You're attracted to the wrong kinds of food. I've seen this more times than not where somebody evidently has some sort of food problem. There's some food that is causing them a food problem and they're attracted to the very food problem, the food, the type of food that is causing an allergic reaction that they can't hardly resist it. I mean, they, they hunger for it. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And we've gone over that, that, you know, the second brain is actually there are brain cells in your intestines and the bacteria in your body can actually manipulate those brain cells into desiring things that they want. Now, I mean, this is how complex it gets. This is actually true. I mean, they've done tests on it. The, the bacteria is actually secreting chemicals that causes your second brain that is in your stomach, that is in the lining of your intestinal walls, desire foods that the bacteria wants. Now, we see this with uh, 
uh, with certain types of uh, parasites that people get, uh, the one that they get from the tick. Uh, it's a spirochete type uh, parasite that it can actually cause you desire certain types of food that it wants. And uh, you can see it actually if you go study parasites, I mean complex parasites where they actually invade the brain or a wasp that actually injects uh, and kills a only a special part of the brain of a cockroach to make that cockroach his slave as so that that cockroach will end up being food for its young. Does the same thing, same similar thing does with worms and similar things actually with a bacteria that can only survive if it is eaten by a cat. Well, it infects a mouse, makes the mouse so it has no inhibition. This is actually real. So that the mouse will actually walk up to a cat. He won't be afraid of the cat. He'll actually even challenge the cat and the cat will eat him. He's doing that because there is a parasite in him that needs to go through the intestines of the cat in order to infect other creatures, <laughs> other mice. And so it perpetuates its existence by actually manipulating the mind of the mouse. So if mice and cats and bacteria or viruses, I, I guess it's a bacteria, parasite, can actually manipulate nature in such a bizarre fashion, can you be manipulated? Can you have a desire to vote? <laughs> To change the minds of other people. To make them think a certain way. No, the trick is to light a candle. To be a light. And that light is not giving information. Now, I'm not saying you won't give information. I said this morning, the reason I give you information is to help you set down what you have already picked up that isn't true. That isn't going to give you life. That is actually going to take your life away. The obsessions with politics, the obsessions with medicine, the obsession with health that you think will make you, will save you. It won't. This doesn't mean don't eat healthy. Of course, you should eat healthy. But, you know, you can actually, you know, one, one of the blessings that supposedly came to the apostles is that poison would not kill them. And, of course, we have, you know, Paul getting bit by a snake and he doesn't get ill. He doesn't get sick. How is that possible? Well, epigenetics could make that possible. A lot of people will argue that, and I'm not trying to prove it to you on an intellectual basis. I'm telling you how it works. That if you have the spirit of life in you, you can overcome even death. The same as the sea overcame the oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico. There are mechanisms already built into creation that can give you life more abundant if you're willing to lay down your life. Well, I don't mean jump on a grenade. I mean lay down your time, your energy, your vanity, your pride. Uh, these these are part, are part of putting on the full armor of God. How you do that, how you're able to manage and do that is part of the way to go. And I'm going to give you uh, a little exercise that you can start doing at home, show you a little bit about how prayer works. And you experiment with it for the next week or so. 
and see if it makes a difference. See if you can even do it. Because there will be challenges that will challenge you so that you can't do it. But anyway, we'll do that when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. Uh, so I have to take another commercial break, but we'll be right back. So welcome back. So real quick review, Keys of the Kingdom. What you bind on earth is bound in heaven. What you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. Okay, we did, well, the book Covenants of the God shows you that you can bind yourself by contract, which is one of the reasons why in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not uh, make covenants with them, agreements with them. Uh, you should not uh, have one purse. That requires an agreement. Uh, you should not eat at their table. That is an agreement. You take their benefit. You, you know, eat at my table, and then you're answerable to me. You know, that kind of thing. So, all those things can bind you, but other things can bind you. Uh, love-hate relationships, uh, judgment, uh, anger, resentment. All these things can bind you to other people. Unforgiveness, trauma, somebody injures you and you want revenge. Uh, that can create trauma. Resentment of the way people mistreat you. That can create trauma. One of the things about trauma is that when somebody injured you, offends you, uh, that's what's so amazing today. People can be offended by almost the, almost nothing. You know, I, I deal with my grandkids, some of my grandkids every day, and I give them a hard time. They, they take it pretty good. And they're actually, I said, I th- think I'm creating monsters because, uh, they're coming back with quips. You know, I tease them. And, uh, because the world will tease you and I want them impervious to it. And they're really good about it. You know, I give them, you know, I, I point out when they do things wrong and, and uh and they take it now with a smile and they can actually learn from it and uh so you know my correction is not abusive to them even though you know when they try to run me over with a pickup i give them a really hard time about that but i said i'm trying to make a memory you can't run grandpa over <laughs> so anyway but uh the you have did not have me as a father, but you have a better father if you will return to that father. And uh, and the way to do that is to, because he's a spiritual father, you have to deal with him on a spiritual level. You have to manifest that spirit in your physical life. That's why you have to, you have to seek the kingdom of God in word and deed. And so you can't just say, you believe in Jesus. You actually have to walk as you believe in Jesus. And I've been setting up a Bible study to go through Ephesians and Philippians and Galatians. And we've gone through several of these already. But uh, we're going to go and take a look at some of these places where they keep talking about your walk. How is your walk? And how do we do it? And like I say, Christ tells us, the Old Testament tells us to be still and know. To pray. What is it, this pray? You're applying to some God, unseen God. How are you doing it? And, and part of doing that is sacrificing, but the sacrificing is not piling up stones and setting sheep on fire. We've explained all this. So exactly what is the real sacrifice? What is real fasting? Some things, you know, casting out demons even out of yourself requires fasting and prayer. What does he mean fasting and prayer? You mean I, I can't eat anything? Uh, I have to sit down and what say the rosary and mumble the same prayer over and over and over again and and recite these words and you know they talk about active contrition and things like that. They're, these are symbolic. Although modern Christianity and many other religions have turned these into some sort of mindless ritual behavior, uh, 
Well, I'm going to give you a little bit of insight and give you, it's an actual ancient meditation technique. You, you can find it in ancient scripts and you can, actually it's in the Bible. There's references to it in the Bible. It's reference to its misuse in the Bible and, uh, you know, by the, the Pharisees. But you'll probably miss it unless you know what is really going on at that time. So we're we're not going to go into all that in great depth. We're just going to look at the actual physical, mental exercise of meditation, prayer, and fasting. We're going to lump these things, or we're going to connect all the dots of those three ideas into one. And uh, so what I'd like you to do, if you want, you can just listen if you want. But if you sit down in a chair or sit back in a chair uh, or even you can lay down. Don't get too comfortable or you may find yourself snoring before the end of the show because I am a boring guy and this is can be even more boring. But if you learn to do this, be still, what will happen? Because you're going to look into the abyss. That This is the purpose is look into the abyss without fear or anxiety. But the abyss we're going to look into is your own soul and your own heart and your own being. Because in you is a gateway to two worlds. You can go to this one or you can go to that one. And if you really want to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, this is one way to prepare yourself. You have to go out in the world and actually turn what you discover in meditation and prayer into action. Christ was meditating and praying until he sweat blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then he went out and turned that into action, an action of testimony and sacrifice. So if you want to prepare yourself for the same kind of testimony and sacrifice, I'm going to give you a little insight. Now normally I would only do this in person with people, but I'm going to put it out here in a recording in this extra half hour that we're doing and just see how it goes from there. And I'll try to watch the clock. I actually got the clock all working here on the screen. I hope there's no other TV or radio or uh, any other extraneous noises going on. If there's more than one of you, sit down where you're not staring at each other. You're probably going to close your eyes during this process and uh, just to, to remove distractions. And you're going to hear my voice, but you can do this on your own. And you want to relax. You can lay your hands at your side. You can lay one hand at your side. If you're laying on your back, you can put your palms up if that's comfortable. But you want to be aware of yourself sitting or laying. Aware of your body being there. Aware of your thoughts. And this is not mantric. Uh, this is not uh, where you're going to try to reach some point of oblivion. You're just going to try to see, step back in the moment and see the thoughts that will rise up when you seek to be still. Because when you're still, what's in you already is going to bubble up. It's going to bubble up into your consciousness. And it will take all kinds of forms. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But let's just get started where you sit still. Or lay still, you be still, and you be aware of your hand. If you're right-handed, look at your right hand. If you're left-handed, look at your... If you're ambidextrous, you can do both hands at the same time. Be aware of yourself being there. And feel the presence of your hand. 
but don't look at it. Your eyes are closed. You're not doing this with your eyes. You're not even really doing it with your mind, although you're experiencing it through your mind. You're just feeling yourself sitting there. That's all you're trying to do is sit and be still and be aware of yourself being still. And the reason why you're doing that, why you anchor yourself with part of your physical being, your hand, which is the most common thing that you work with. It could be, you know, I mean, if you're born without hands, you could still do this. If you're born without feet, you could still do this. If you have feet, you could do your feet instead of your hands. Uh, and you look at each hand. You look at your hand. You look at each finger. You feel it. You're looking at it in your mind's eye. And you're being aware of yourself being there, sitting there, laying there. And that's all. You're just being still. But you're anchoring yourself to the physical being there. You're not trying to do astral travel or some other nonsense that could do nothing but get you into a lot of trouble. You just want to be now and be still. Be aware of yourself. And what will happen is that while you're looking at your hand, focusing on your hand, focusing on a part of your anatomy and being aware of it, you'll feel the blood tingling in it. It will. It might pulse, uh, maybe with a heartbeat. Maybe it'll just feel a little flush and warm, and uh, maybe even vibrate a little bit as you're aware of each individual finger or toe. And you can do this with your whole body, but let's just start with one hand now. So I'm going to make reference to hand. If you're not using your hand, then that's okay. I mean, you can you can actually do this with your facial muscles. It's a little like tapping, except for you're not tapping anything. You're not doing anything willfully you're actually setting your will aside you're being still now if you could do this for 15 minutes in the morning 15 minutes sometime in the middle of the day and 15 minutes in the evening you could go a little longer but don't do it extensive long periods of time but be aware until you actually feel that blood flowing into the appendage and and into each individual finger and you feel the warmth going into your hand and you feel kind of an energy vibrating in your hand, that's okay. Now, that's all you're doing is being aware of yourself in the moment. Now, you can also note that thoughts will interrupt your awareness of your hand. Now, I took a little long time to say that, but while I was saying that, you could have been listening to me instead of being aware of your hand. I want you to be aware of your hand. Now, if you did this every time with my voice telling you to do this, it could actually become hypnotic and I could actually gain influence over you. But that's not what I'm going to do and that's not what you should be doing. I'm just walking you through it one time. But as you're aware of your hand and feel your hand and feel the, you know, it connected to your arm and maybe you could feel your whole body eventually. Some people have ability to do that, but you, that isn't what it's really about. What it's really about is how you will be interrupted when you're being aware of your hand. Emotions may interrupt you. Thoughts may interrupt you. You find your mind straying off in another direction. And you don't want to do that. You don't want your mind straying off in another direction. and But you don't want to feel bad about it if you find yourself doing it. You just bring your attention back to the fact that you're sitting there and you're aware of your hand. Because catching yourself, catching whatever it is that distracts you and drags your thinking away 
and then bring your thinking back to the intention of being still. Another way I phrase this is waiting upon the Lord. You're just waiting there. You're aware you're waiting there. And you're giving up 15 minutes of time to be aware of yourself sitting there, waiting. And what will happen, like I said, is your mind will start to interrupt that patient waiting. And when it interrupts it, you will catch yourself being interrupted. Sometimes you'll be off daydreaming because you won't have my voice here talking to you to bring your attention back. But you're, you're, you'll be interrupted by daydreaming, by sometimes you'll have to itch. You'll say, oh gosh, I suddenly got an itch in my back. I got to reach over there and itch it. Don't. Don't reach over. Just sit still. Be still. Don't wiggle. Don't shift your weight from side to side. Don't move your feet. Be still. Be still physically. Be still mentally. And just be aware of yourself in the moment. And then, when something interrupts that, when something distracts you, uh, people sometimes see flashing lights. Sometimes they see colors floating through their mind's eye. Their eyes are shut. Uh, they'll hear noises. They'll hear creaks. Now, there may have been noises and creaks before, but now they'll hear them. Anything to distract yourself. Being still is not an easy thing to do. Being patient is not an easy thing to do. And your mind will want to interrupt you and will want to escape that stillness. Because, and, you know, people have actually, I can tell you some of the things that people have experienced. Now, are you still aware of your hand? Have you drifted off? Are you just listening to my voice? Are you being aware of yourself sitting there? Being aware of yourself sitting there. See, in order to do that, you have to step back and see yourself being aware of yourself. You're separating your physical self from your mental awareness. You're, you ever do things subconsciously, uh, unconsciously? You watch a whole show and then the show's over and you can't even remember what you saw. Can't even remember what was playing. Well, you, your consciousness is not just your brain working. Your consciousness is what makes you, that's you. But you're, you're stuck in a world between your consciousness and your mental process. You're stuck between a world between your soul and your flesh. And the flesh will draw you away. Hunger will draw you away. Fear will draw you away from your soul. It will manipulate you. So what you're doing now is you're being still. And what you're, where you overcome is you see what's interrupting your desire to be still and wait upon the Lord. You want to wait upon the Lord. Just wait to see what the Lord has for you. You're just going to be still there. You're going to be aware of your hand, aware of yourself sitting there waiting upon the Lord for a few minutes. Give him a few minutes. Christ was doing this for hours. I don't recommend you doing it for hours. Just do it for a few minutes. And see what interrupts. What daydreams comes. What feelings come up. What thoughts. You, th- you start thinking about what somebody said. Or what somebody did. Or, or what's going on in the world. Or, d- let those things go. When you catch yourself being dragged off. Bring your attention back to your hand. Back to your fingers. Back to your arm. Be aware of it sitting there. Be aware of yourself sitting there. Don't move. Be still. 
You know, don't itch the itch. Don't be carried away with the thought. Be still. And what you're doing is practicing coming back to that being a centered, calm individual. You're not really. And there's all kinds of stuff that's buried deep down in your heart. Traumas, feelings, resentments, angers. But they might bubble up in all kinds of different forms. Like I said, might be in colors, might be in sounds, might be in itches, might be in as shaking. It might be in all sorts of images that might come up. Just keep bringing your hand and your attention back to your hand and being there for a few minutes. And uh, see what happens. Uh, do this while your eyes are closed. Do it for 10, 15, 20 minutes. You can set a timer if you want. Because sometimes people think, well, I've been here for a half hour already. And they find out they've only been there for a couple of minutes. It's it's amazing. Time seems to shift about. Any, what you're actually doing, and I've had people tell me that they stopped meditating because they realized they were meditating for the wrong reason. And I said, well, when did you realize that? And they said, oh, while well, I was meditating. So let me get this straight. You had a serious revelation about your intent for doing something. And you had that revelation when you were meditating. So you stopped meditating so that you would not have that revelation anymore. You would not have another one. No, continue to do it. Do it regularly. Do it in the morning before you do anything else. Do it in the evening before you go to bed. Don't fall asleep doing it. That's a bad habit. It's not a good habit. I mean, you can fall asleep doing it, but and I don't want anybody creating feelings of guilt because you weren't able to concentrate. It's not about concentrating. It's about observation and seeing how you're swept away in thoughts, swept away in emotions. I've had people who just break down crying, and they have no idea why. Tears are running down their face. And it says, well, why? Just being aware of your hand makes tears run down. Actually, I know why. But I'm saying this so that they ask the question. Why am I experiencing these things? Why am I being aware of these things? Why are these things happening to me? And it's not an intellectual answer that you're looking for. You're waiting upon the Lord. And the Lord is going to tell you things not in an intellectual way. After you do this for 15, 20 minutes... And you do it on a regular basis, you'll have different experiences. Sometimes when you're all done doing it, and you shouldn't do it in a real bright light room. You should do it in kind of a, a soft lighted room, a quiet room. But you'll open up your eyes and colors will seem different. Things will seem different. Take a deep breath. Watch your breathing while you do this. Is it relaxed? You All of a sudden, you're doing it and people will notice is that my other arm was extremely tense. And okay, then relax it and bring your attention back to where it was before. Don't do it ambitiously. Do it as if you're surrendering and calling upon the righteous spirit of God to write upon your heart and your mind. It's not going to happen overnight. Well, generally, you don't have giant changes overnight. Sometimes you do. But everybody's situation is different. Everybody's in a different place. And there's nothing magical about it. It's just an exercise. You can go do push-ups and you get stronger biceps. What you're doing is getting a stronger ability to control your mind in relationship to your body and your emotions. If emotions come up and try to distract you, let go of them. Just let them go. Give them to Christ. 
take your attention back and and thank God for that feeling. If an itch comes, just be aware of it. Don't scratch it. Just be aware of it until it goes. Let it go. Don't hang on to it. If you remember, you know, you start remembering what somebody said or the, the government makes you mad or or something like that, just forgive that for this moment. This is, you're waiting on the Lord. You're not waiting on your own ambitions. Think of what that could mean, 15 minutes a day to do that. Many people I know who pray in church, they're praying as if the power comes from them. The power of prayer comes from the source of life, the thing that makes things grow at the bottom of the ocean and in the middle of the desert and in the Arctic ice. Whatever makes those things grow, makes things adjust, blooms bacteria to devour an, uh, devour an oil spill that was going to end life as we know it. And it was ended instead by the power of God through the means of God. Now let that power take over. But seek that righteous power. Now I've given people lots of hints as what righteousness looks like. It doesn't look like anger. It doesn't look like resentment. It doesn't look like unforgiveness. Uh, it looks like forgiveness. It looks like patience. It looks like uh, tender caring for your daughter or your son or your wife or your husband or your ex-husband or your ex-wife or your estranged brother or whatever it is that you actually learn to start caring about them. If you can't care about them, how can you care about the stranger? It's easy to love people you don't know. It's uh, it's harder to love people that step on your toes and get too close. So, but you're often reacting without thinking because there are things buried down inside you that are pushing and shoving you from inside. During this process of meditation, you're going to take a look at what's on the inside and you see it when it bubbles up to the surface and tries to distract you from the simple process of being aware of yourself sitting there waiting upon the Lord. That's what meditation is, waiting upon the Lord. And what are you fasting from? You're fasting from daydreaming. You're fasting from willfulness. Yeah, you're fasting from food for a little while, you know, at least 20 minutes, because that's another thing people will report that suddenly they get a craving to eat something. <laughs> no, wait, give, give 20 minutes to God. I mean, that's, you know, Jesus and the apostles, they kept falling asleep, fasting from sleep. That's why I say don't get too comfortable where you fall asleep. You may fall asleep sitting in your chair. You know, maybe get a straight back chair where you're not quite as comfortable. Anyway, it's a process. And the the being aware of your hand, being aware of the tingling in your hand, that's not the goal. Being aware of the things that bubble up in your mind and seeing them. Is not the goal. Letting go of those things is part of the goal. But the actual goal is to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And this is just an exercise to help you deal with the trauma that you will run into during the day. And the trauma that you have run into in the past that is lurking in the dark corners of your holy temple, yourself. And when they bubble up in this guarded prayer closet. Uh, actually known people who do their meditating in a closet. It gets away from a lot of the extraneous sounds. and gets uh, away from a lot of the lights and distractions. You know, everybody lives in a different place. 
and uh, and you get so that you can do this just for a few minutes somewhere in your car, on the street corner. You can do it sitting on a park bench. You can do it almost anywhere. And it's just giving a few minutes to God to let God tell you what you need to do. And then later on, you can ask questions. You know, when somebody asks you, should you do this? Should you go to the left? Should you go to the right? You can go to the same still small place. Your prayer closet becomes your own heart. You've cleaned it out. You've cleaned out your temple. You've let go of enough anger and resentment that's been harboring in there in those dark recesses. You saw it. It came up. You may never even know what it was that you were angry about. You just feel it bubble up and let it go. Give it to Christ. Thank him for letting that, taking that off of you. And sometimes people wake up and or sit up and they, they just feel like a weight has been lifted off them. Everybody has a different experience. You will probably have a different experience too. And if you have experiences, share them with your minister because I'm sure you're all, you're all part of the network. <laughs> and if you have questions, uh, we'll set up a meeting. We'll, we'll talk about it. But do this exercise religiously. Do it every morning, every night, and if you can, sometime during the day. You can do it many times a day. There's no, no rule. Because we want you to be led by the Holy Spirit. We don't want you to be led by fear, by anxiety, by uh, wantonness, by anger. But anyway, until then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.